Welcome to this week's Lawn Sport Podcast. In this episode, Nick DeMarco, barrister at Blackstone Chambers, Richard Berry, employment lawyer at Lewis Silken, and Nick Tisatis, partner and employment lawyer at Fladgate, talk to Lawn Sport CEO Sean Cottrell about how the football transfer market influences the integrity of football. I hope you enjoy the show. So welcome to this Law in Sport podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the founder and CEO of Law in Sport. Um, I'm here today um, on a beautiful, sunny but cold evening in London at the offices of Flaggate, um, a sports law firm, to interview some leading sports lawyers about some of the issues that's facing the football transfer market and the, generally the, how this interferes um, or sets the tone for integrity in the sport. So today's guests are Richard Berry. Um, Richard, can you just explain who you are and what you do. Sure, uh, I'm Richard Berry. I am uh, an employment lawyer from Lewis Silkin. I specialise in the sports sector. I act for various football clubs, um, agents and players. Thank you, Richard. And Nick DeMarco. Nick, can you just introduce yourself briefly? Yeah, I, I'm Nick DeMarco. I'm a barrister specialising in sports law. Um, most of what I do is probably in football and uh, I act for uh, probably about 10 or 11 different football clubs regularly in the Premier League and Championship. Uh, a lot of different players act for the Players' Union and uh, most of the big football agencies. And the type of stuff that you act for them on? Uh, it's a roughly 50-50 split between regulatory work, so disciplinary work, uh, including um, disciplinaries arising out of transfers. I was doing one a couple of weeks ago involving a big transfer from Leeds um, that's half of it, and the other half is commercial work, and that is uh, what we call Rule K arbitrations, mostly. Disputes between agents and players, or agents and agents, or clubs, about transfers. And just to clarify, can you just briefly explain Rule K for those who are listening and going, I, I hear this a lot, but I don't actually know what it is. It, yeah, think... no, absolutely. Just about all football disputes between any of what's called the participants, a player, an agent or a club, but also managers and other officials, have to be determined by arbitration, by a panel that the parties uh, select, but under the rules of the FA, and it's under Rule K of the FA, which is why it's called Rule K arbitration. Uh, and it's just like, or almost the same as being in court but it's in private and you choose the arbitrators and it has its own set of procedural rules. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, and finally, we're joined by Nick Tsatsis. Nick, can you just introduce yourself and say what you do? Yep, I'm Nick Tsatsis and I'm a partner here at Fladgate, um, an employment lawyer, but uh, have acted for um, particularly managers, coaches and senior executives um, in football and also in other sports like motor racing both on sort of commercial aspects of their employment contracts, but also when disputes arise. So, uh, thank you for that. So to get the ball rolling on this, obviously over the last week there's been a lot of attention, uh, particularly focused on Sam Allardyce uh, and his position uh, formerly as the England manager and the sting that the Telegraph undertook. From your perspective, what, what, what are your thoughts on that as a whole, you know, a week on from the, the event unfolding? What do you think about what's gone on? Well, I don't, I don't know the ins and outs of um, Sam Allardyce's case, so I'm going to give that a swerve. Um, but things don't just happen in football. I mean, just today we had the news that the fake shake that had been uh, involved in the Talisa sting in 
2013 has been convicted of evidence tampering and it's a reminder that there are other high-profile people who, who get stung by the papers. And it's also a reminder that um, what is presented to the public as the result of that sting isn't always the, the full story of what happened and sometimes things get manipulated and, and uh, manufactured. But having said all that, there's, um, there's often good that comes out of undercover journalism. Again, it's a story that's been in the news this summer, but the abusive or unlawful working practices at Sports Direct were first exposed by a Guardian a reporter working undercover. Uh, and that has obviously led to the publicity that's exposed these practices and hopefully change that's going to help the people who are working in that depot in Shirebrook. So, so in, you're, I think, um, wisely having a slightly cautious approach um, about casting judgment, which is an Nick Demarco. Yeah, and I think um, I think it's important when you when you read things in the papers that you realise that you are reading them in the papers. Um, I know when you when the Telegraph put this, these things out, there was a big headline. Everyone thought this is going to be thing that, the thing that brings English football to its knees. Um, they then sort of packaged up, particularly with the Sam Allardyce um, sting. They packaged up the footage that they had into these three-minute video clips set to music. And it was actually really hard for you to get the context in which all this happened. So was, I think before you draw any kind of conclusion from something like that, you really need to dig down to what's being discussed, um, what the context was, how these meetings were set up. It'd be really interesting to see the correspondence that went around all of this because anybody can pull out you know, 30 seconds of somebody talking about third-party ownership and it really looks like something that it may not be when you dig down into it a little bit deeper. Do you have anything to add on? Yeah, well, I got a sense of deja vu about it because I mentioned in an article I wrote a couple of days ago that about 10 years ago there was a similar sting on Panorama and uh, one of my clients at the time was one of the agents secretly recorded and they, they showed the bit of him saying um, that there are a number of managers who take bungs every day and he mentioned a few and Mr Allardyce's name and Mr Redknapp's name were mentioned in that programme and they've been mentioned again. Um, but what we had to do in the disciplinary proceedings that followed was watch the entire transcript and, and recording. And it was, if I recall, over 12 hours of recording and they tried and tried again to get my agent client to say something corrupt or something accepting corruption. And he simply wasn't interested. He was saying, that's not the way I do business. I, I choose young players, I invest time with them. But they kept saying, well, what if you want to break? What if you want to do this? And finally, they got him to say, well, if you want to do this, these are the people you would do this with. And of course, that's the bit that you see on television. So I agree with Richard that, um, you have to take these things with a heavy pinch of salt and a heavy dose of scepticism. The other thing I thought, though, was that this was all a bit of a storm in a teacup because apart from some of the earlier uh, revelations about Mr Allardyce, which um, uh, were uh, interesting, to say the least, uh, apart from those, most of the other revelations may be accepting some um, championship assistant managers and so on. But most of the others weren't actually allegations of any wrongdoing. They might be allegations about judgment and so on, but they weren't about any wrongdoing. No rules were broken. And so it did look like a bit of a storm in a teacup to me. 
So then looking at the situation, something's happened at the FA, obviously they've had a discussion, presumably there's been a settlement agreement of some sort. How would this compare to another sector? Is this something that you commonly see that if there was not a thing as such, would, would a, I don't know, a, a manager or a director in a, in, a, um, in a bank, for example? Yeah, I don't think it's... Walk away or how, 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 how does... Is football similar to any other sector or is it distinct and different? Yeah, I don't think it's hugely hugely different in this case. I mean, if a senior employee was somehow alleged to have done something wrong, you would expect an employer to conduct an investigation. Um, the FA appeared to do some form of investigation, although it seemed to be pretty brief. And uh, as I understand it, by the time Sam Allardyce left his position, they still hadn't received the Telegraph's transcripts and the full evidence that um, apparently showed some wrongdoing, but certainly it appears they'd met with Sam Allardyce and talked to him about it. Um, and if uh, if an employer, having conducted an investigation, discovered that there had indeed been wrongdoing of a serious enough nature, then yes, you'd expect uh, in one way or another the employment relationship to be ended. So I don't know that I see it as hugely different in, in terms of what appears to have happened in this case. I think it's quite easy to talk about wrongdoing in this case as well, where, whereas if you, I'm not even sure we even got to that point because it all happened very quickly. Um, but I just think the level of embarrassment that was caused to his employer in, from a person in such a high-profile job, I think in any industry, it's very rare that a senior exec would survive that level of embarrassment being caused to his employer and still be in a job. I think there would be such a trust and confidence issue there that and it may even be a breach of an express term it may even mm. be that you won't bring yeah. the employer into so for the non-lawyers listening because yeah. <laughs> there will be some so the difference between what will be implied in the contract and in an express term and in a managerial contract just briefly just just, just clarify that point just to make it clear so, you know because this sure. will no doubt be a common problem across sort of managerial contracts in well most most employment contracts will contain or will be based on not just the express terms that are written down on a piece of paper, but sometimes on implied terms that um, the law introduces. And Rich mentioned one of those implied terms, the term of trust and confidence, which is often relied on when there has been a breakdown in the relationship between employer or employee. So what we're saying, in, in, if what Rich was saying was that it's possible that that implied term would have been breached in the case of Allardyce, given the embarrassment caused to the FA. Um, but it may also be that there were express terms in the contract that were breached, if there are clauses in there that say that you can't um, act against the interests of your employer or you can't profit from this job in any way other than the salary that you're receiving or you can't bring the employer into disrepute, then those are all clauses that may have been broken. I think both my colleagues are right to suggest that in some ways there's nothing different here because normal principles of law apply. But in others there, there is a real difference here because um, the, the way in which employment contracts work in football, particularly for players and managers, means it is much harder to dismiss a manager or a player uh, and much harder indeed for a player or a manager to walk out. Um, just because of the nature of the contracts and the nature of the industry and what's accepted as a standard in that industry. And that means that, by and large, matters have to be resolved commercially between the parties. 
uh, it's rare that you see dismissals of managers without a payoff for gross misconduct or what have you. Very, very rare. And that's probably not because there isn't any gross misconduct going on. And the same for players. The other reason I think it's uh, quite different is the regulatory side. There is a crisis in confidence about the regulation of football. And I think that's a justified crisis because there is um, uh, corruption and bad practices in football, uh, in my experience, far worse than what was uh, said to be exposed in, in those programmes. And the real problem is a lack of regulation and a lack of independent regulation. And that's perhaps another difference between football and some of their other areas, because where you see areas that have wholly regulated themselves, uh, like the press, for instance, in the past, or the police when they used to wholly regulate themselves, uh, that crisis in confidence is much deeper than when you have a proper um, system of thorough and transparent regulation. So, so, so. I'm, I'm not sorry, I was going to say I'm not sure how much I agree with that, because if I think about the financial services industry, there's plenty of independent seemingly regulation in, in that industry, and yet mm. there are, as a result of the crisis that we had in 2008 to 2012, still a lot of concerns about whether that industry is properly regulated. Mm. And I can see parallels between um, someone working in that industry whose contract probably says that he'll comply with the rules and the regulations of the Financial Conduct Authority in just the same way that a, a manager's contract may say that it will comply, he'll comply with the rules of the FA or the Premier Football League, whatever it, it may be. Um, and yet I think those two situations would probably be treated not dissimilarly. So I take the point about the concerns over the lack of independent regulation in football. And I think that's something that's going to come even more to the fore in, in later in this podcast. But as specifically in relation to the treatment of um, individuals who are found to have done wrong, I'm not sure it's. Uh, I'm not sure if it's that different. So it's interesting to listen to you yeah. to discuss this because this is the crux of the issue, really, isn't it? It's about, say, for example, in the financial industry, though, that, that, that you would think that they clear. Um, clear rules which ex uh, dictate the conduct of the individuals and have remit over those individuals. So even though the practices may take place, there are enforceable rules that can be applied against this. And in this situation, part of the, um, uh, the concern, particularly from the press, has been around third parties, agents who are involved, who, um, and I know all of you have commented on this in the past, who are arguably under regulation or not with the introduction of the new intermediaries or the deregulation of agents. And isn't that part of the problem in the sense that, you know, you don't have that benchmark. You know, there's people involved in this in this um, scandal, let's say. Um, obviously, your earlier point's taken that nothing has yet, you know, you haven't got all the evidence in front of you. But presuming there are allegations of people investing in third-party owners in, in schemes to get around third-party ownership or not, isn't that the problem? Yeah, it's bad. I mean, it's bad that you have kind of corruption industries that are notionally regulated where you have situations where there is little or no regulation, then it's difficult to imagine what anyone expects in terms of more abuses. I mean, I think, I think there's enough regulation, though, in football for us to be aware if there's been wrongdoing. And in this case, it's very, very unclear that there has been. Or there certainly hasn't been. There's certainly no hard evidence that there's been any wrongdoing. People may have been talking about something that 
at some point down the lane, down the line, may have translated into some sort of breach of regulation. But I don't think I think we we're quite a long way from it, from what I've heard anyway. But so 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 Nick, I know you've got some views on on the, the regulation of agents in particular, because mm. part of the issue was about mm. you know, the recommendation that you should invest in an agency mm. because that's where yes. the money is in football. So you know, I think there's is you know having unfortunately had the pain of going through the FIFA of statutes, the code of governance, the mm. code of ethics, etc over the last few weeks in particular, it was particularly unclear on what the standards should be expected of officials, let alone agents. So, Nick, I know you've got some views on this. Well, I think I think the FIFA took two decisions the same year, uh, which on the face are uh, rather strange and opposite decisions, because on the one hand they decided to have an all-out international ban on third-party investment. And on the other, they decided to deregulate football agents. Um, but in fact, I think there's a similarity with those two decisions. And they have both caused a problem, in my view. And the similarity is FIFA are stepping away from regulation. Because third-party investment, and I know I'm in a minority in, in the UK on this with my view. It's been my view for a long time. Third-party investment is not necessarily a bad thing. You're not in a minority in this room, then. Oh, well, that's very good. I'm seeing nods. Um, It's not necessarily a bad thing. What's bad is when it's done underground by, uh, in a non-transparent way, by people with dodgy connections who may well also try and influence players and matches and so on. That's obviously what's bad. But a football club, in a sense, it's it's often greatest liabilities and and also assets are players. It is unable, most clubs are unable to borrow money against the future transfer value of those players because of the way the rules work. That doesn't make economic sense and doesn't help anybody in the industry, in my view. But the answer to the problems with third-party investment is proper regulation. So you know who the investors are, you can't invest in... uh, different clubs and so on. That would be the solution. FIFA had no interest in doing that, walked away, just banned it, and at the same time said that because a number of football agents were operating around the world as unlicensed agents, and those are often, by the way, the same people involved in third-party ownership, it would step away from regulating agents and no longer have a system of licensed agents. And the the combination of those two things means it's now much more likely that unlicensed agents will be involved in getting around the ban on third-party ownership by having contracts with players that are unfair, bind the player to the agent in, in difficult situations, and then pass the money around through that. And we're certainly seeing more of that now. People keep talking about getting around the rules on third-party ownership. But for, for me, I still haven't quite worked out exactly what that means in practice. Mm. I don't, whether I, maybe I don't move in the right circles in order to find out. But Well, I think there was issues of, and I know that there was, there was people asking for clarification on this, but in different jurisdictions, you know, saying that we're going to invest in a whole squad, for example, as opposed to invest in a player. We're going to give money to a club. This is what I've heard anyway. Yeah. How true this is, I don't know. That, no that, idea. That, well, yeah. if, you, if you boil it down... There isn't a massive amount of difference between just a bank lending and taking security and, a, and an investment fund linking its security to the sale of a player. Well, that, isn't, that's my view. Well, isn't, isn't part of the issue, and I know that um, you know, I was having a, a Twitter exchange with um, 
uh, Marcotti, he wrote a good piece in the in the Times at the weekend or Monday, and uh, Jane Purden, who was the yes. former head of governance, and we talked about the key issue that came up, which I think is part of this problem is transparency. Yes. Time and time again, and Jane always says, you know, the one way to solve all this problem is transparency, transparency, and transparency. And I think, you know, if you looked at so just to clarify what's gone on, you know, there's this argument that the the what the the agent regulations are in place by the FA and the licensing system was relatively successful here. And then obviously with the intermediary regs, that sort of quasi deregulation has caused more people to come involved. But also then you've got this third party ownership and investment. Mm. Isn't it? Isn't it the issue that no one's got a clear handle? So when I was on the Soccer X panel with Daniel Cravo from Brazil and Ricardo Buren from Mexico, they were saying, you know, often in those places, and I'm sure those, play, those players come to the UK mm. Mm. and play, that they've got two contracts. One they file with FIFA, yeah. <laughs> and then one that is done separately. Yes, and FIFA generally say we haven't got any jurisdiction over the one that's not filed with us, so we're not going to. It's not really a FIFA DR dispute resolution chain. Yes. and isn't that part of the problem in the sense that if you've got these agents who who are no doubt involved as well, whether or not they are, you know, rep- perceived to be reputable ones as the lead agents, but there are deals, and this was what I think a lot of the outcry was from the Telegraph sting, even though they were these snippets, was you know, the implied. Uh, the implication that people are doing backhanded deals all the time and no one's got any idea well a, a, a lot going. of that goes on in football generally but Rich is right that this idea about getting round third party ownership rules what, what's actually meant by that because when you look at it what's meant by that is legitimate arrangements which yeah. are not in breach of the rules exactly. and there's nothing wrong with those I mean there's a, you, you gave the example Sean of uh, buying a whole squad or buying a whole team. Well, let's say you are an investor and you want to buy a football team, then obviously there's nothing wrong if the football club makes a profit by selling its players, which is very rarely any clubs do. But if they do, there's nothing wrong with that investor taking that profit out. That would be perfectly permissible. And there are plenty of football clubs that are run along those lines. You hear people talking in the papers all the time about it's a selling club. But what does that mean? It means it develops its academy prospects who it gets for free or for, you know, little money, and then it sells them on at a profit, and that's how it runs, that's how it operates as a business. It's just no different. So so if you, you like, my view on it has evolved mm. over the years because you know, I listen to very intelligent people, like much like yourself, put these arguments forward, and, you know, you guys are professional, um, essentially, uh, you know, p- uh, uh, persuading people, right? This is what your job is. You are professionals at making sure people come to your point of view generally and I would agree on everything you said I totally agree and then you speak to FIFA mm, you mm. speak to these others and they talk about these or other people who have been on the other side of some of these third party mm. transactions and they are completely exploitative in nature a- and, they control the, and they control the rights yeah, of the athletes. we're talking so, about two different ends of the yeah. market I think and so what would effective regulation look like in light of what we now know and what we've discussed right here what would it look like because I think this is part of the issue that we have got what's in effect at the moment but what is the solution how do you effectively on a global because I think the problem we've got is we're dealing with stuff domestically and everyone looks to the FA and whilst we can only control what's in front of us it's a global market isn't it it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's impossible to, to separate yeah. the uh, English football in particular from the rest of the world can I make one point Just yeah. on, it was actually in relation to the point that you were making before about transparency and I think, I think it's interesting that I can't remember how long has FIFA TMS been in operation now. It's probably a number of years now. And I think 
generally, at least from the clients that I've that I know who deal with it and the people I've spoken to about it, it seems to be a system that works. Yeah, it's a strange thing that they chose to invest in that, put money into it, put together what looks like a decent system that seems to work and it seems to do what it's supposed to. It, it you know, it it is there to gather information about transfer deals in order to make things more transparent. But the same, so they didn't take the opportunity to use that to see how it might be able to. I, I don't know whether they whether they did or not. Actually, so, so we'll, just to clarify again, I think most people would anyone who's interested in football will know about FIFA TMS now. But it's a system, the, the transfer matching system that deals with international transfer players, and there's a domestic transfer matching system yeah. uh, that people have got their own, the FIFA one, which deals with uh, counting for counting for all of the the paperwork and the financial dealings for those transfers you're basically saying that with that system in place you think it'd be really easy to yeah for you to be able to see exactly what was going on um and you've been able to you know you'd be able to exploit that to your advantage to to get transparency and therefore these kind of abusive arrangements and you know nick was talking about getting around third-party ownership and and doing things which are probably at least if, if not unethical then actually illegal and there's a difference there I mean you can't do anything to stop somebody going away and giving back handers and, and not finding paperwork and just doing it all on the sly you're, you're never going to be able to regulate to stop that so 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 one thing would then be so with FIFA TMS now, now they've got this um, the player system in which you can track which player goes is at which club which is just they're just we we're talking about last week at, at uh, soccer X, which seems really exciting so you can actually say is this a legitimate club did that player actually play for that club which is again would seem a, mm. a, a good evolution but once you've got all that data so say we presume FIFTMS do acquire all this data and people are accurately putting that data in importantly is there a robust system in place which is one of the problems I'm to get to because this is the problem with agents regulation mm. that you have to be able to enforce it Right. And you have to. There has to be a dispute resolution mechanism in which you can take action and actually have a, a licensing system in which you can take action against those individuals. So, is that system currently in place? If not, what should be introduced? And you know, oh, Nick, are there, are there, does uh, this happen I, in other sectors? I've I've never understood why the regulation of agents was abandoned just because there were some that were operating outside its its bounds and it was all getting a little difficult. That seems to me to be an extraordinary um, situation just to throw your hands up in the air and walk away from any attempt to regulate it. So uh, certainly I'd be in favour of um, seeing a sort of regulation of agents being Mm -hmm. reintroduced. Um, Because of the TMS system, there is more transparency in terms of money flowing between clubs but it is often um, the agents that are seemingly um, getting involved or the less reputable agents, uh, maybe the unlicensed ones as were, uh, that are sort of abusing the system and um, why there wouldn't be some kind of system to regulate their activities, I, I don't know. We, we should be clear that there is regulation of agents in, in the UK, albeit they're now called yeah. intermediaries. And there is in a number of other countries, and even the FIFA system is a system of regulation, but it's uh, much more like touch. It's much less uh, regulatory than it was before, and the FIFA system is is very low-level uh, regulation. And in none of the countries do you now require a licence. You may require to be registered, but it's not the same thing. It's a soft licensing system. So th- there's been a move away from regulation, 
at exactly the same time that the amount of money passing through football transactions has exponentially rise to billions in some of the some of the recent windows internationally um, and also the fact that you've got one system of regulation in the UK and much lighter systems outside the UK and of course many of the big transfers are international transfers means it's a it's a mess at the moment and there are a lot more disputes arising um, often that you don't see between agents and players as a result of this a lot more people are trying to get involved a lot more allegations of breach of contract, people poaching players, players having four or five agents at the same time and all this kind of thing. One of the things I was always surprised about, I won't mention who it was, but I went to a talk years ago with a CEO of a football premiership football club and they basically said, we'll do business with anyone who can get us the player that we want. Yeah. We don't care yeah. whether we're not there. And this was at the time when there was a license, uh, a licensing system in place. Yeah. Which was quite surprising because, you know, naively I thought that if there were rules in place, people would abide by those rules. But clearly they, were, they weren't worried about the consequences of that. They said, you know, we deal with it afterwards, whether it is through, you know, commercial settlement of some sort. Mm. Yeah, and I don't think, you know, we shouldn't kid ourselves that pre the regulatory change, everything was rosy and, you know, everybody was towing the line. That's just not how, that's just not how it was going. It was, you know, FIFA's response to, to deregulate was a response to think widely acknowledged fact that around at least globally there were problems with the system and that un- un- unregulated people were involved in it whether that's changed you know for the better I, I don't know actually yet um, but th- this is how about this is an idea that before any player can enter into a contract with an agent he has to take legal advice on that contract in order to make that a binding contract it happens in you know in the employment sphere you have to take legal advice on a settlement agreement in order to waive your potential employment claims, why, at least in this country, the FA couldn't legislate for that? I don't know. There's a tick box, although I don't know if it's still on the FA it standard is. form contract. Is, yes. There's a tick box on the standard form FA representation contract for a player and an agent that says, "I, the player, have been have have been advised to take legal advice, and I have either decide and I either have or I have not decided that." What I, about I want something to. further than that? Then, what about? Mandatory. I'm obsessed with mandatory training at the moment. Yeah. What about mandatory training that requires players to understand what an agent is expected from an agent and services that's expected, and what a lawyer can bring? Because I've heard of, you know, I'm doing more stuff with, with players and FIFA mm. late, and, mm. sort of, and you hear about this situation where you have lawyer agents who essentially, you know, without knowing the specifics, you know, the entire details, but it would appear anywhere on the face of it that they recommend to the athlete, you don't need to go to you know, we're friends, we trust you. And they're signing away 20% of all future earnings yeah. on a contract. So you hear about these row actors. Yeah. And just because, you know, and then they're, they're in a difficult position because they have ticked that box. I, I, the, you, you're quite right. The players need a lot more support. The PFA does an excellent job, but they need more support um, in terms of uh, understanding a, a whole range of things. There are obligations under, there was a video today the PFA were doing about match fixing, betting, doping. There are so many obligations on players and, and they don't have the support or the time put in. The clubs need to put aside more time to help them. But also there should be training for agents and, and the Association of Football Agents, uh, the, which represents all the big agencies in the UK, has been pressing for a long time to bring back the idea of mandatory training and an exam, even if it's not a licensing system, but a kite mark system, 
Uh, and uh, there ought to be training o on all those parts. But ultimately, you will still have the problem you have, precisely because, as you say, the, the CEO of the football club will often say, get me this player, whoever brings him to me, I will pay, um, because there's a, such a fierce competition for the best player. Um, and the players, they may well you know, get legal advice and so on, but ultimately, players are going to choose the agent who can say to them and has got a track record, I've got a connection, I can get you in this club, or I can get you this deal, or I can get you this yeah. wage. That's obviously what the player will go for. But doesn't that then ask both question, shouldn't there be some repercussion for that type of backfield? If, if this is a, a, either an ethical or, or a cultural problem, surely there should be a sanction for that. If, there are, if, if the rules are clear and, the, and there is a system in place in which they're meant to abide by and they don't do that, and particularly if it's coming from the clubs, Surely there should be against that director of football or whoever. Well, there are sanctions and there are cases going on, but they are the tip of the iceberg. There's very few of them. And the FA may not have... I don't know whether they'd say they don't have the resources to investigate all of them. Um, but, the, you know, the FA has just made redundant and reorganised most of its uh, lawyers dealing with this in the last year. So uh, there, there needs to be greater resources put into this. And it also seems to me... Um, that there needs to be an independent body doing it. I think there's a lack of reporting as well. So how how do these things come to the FA's attention? And unless a dispute blows up and somebody makes some sort of regulatory complaint, I, I just don't think whether it's a resourcing issue, whether it, whether it's just a we're not keen to open a can of worms issue, that they don't go looking for things. And and there's a there's another issue which is buying. I mean you you've quite correctly identified that you know players and, and clubs will look to follow whatever path suits them best regardless of whether that cuts across regulations that may exist the truth is if you have a regulatory framework that the participants in that industry don't buy into um, mm. then uh, then it's going to be then there will be flaws in it and attempts will be made to circumvent it and I have to say I'm a little cynical because the money in football is, in particular, of the, all the sports, is such that I think there will always be people looking to, to make money where perhaps they shouldn't. Oh. And so, but that doesn't mean you don't try and regulate. How it. much? Obviously, we've got yeah, the legal challenge from football, which clearly, you know, mm. highlights a number of areas in which they they think that the, the current system isn't working. But how much of the problems with the at the top of FIFA, for example, or some of the other governing bodies or confederations, uh, you know, following all of the arrests um, in America and in Switzerland and other places around the world, how much does that, you know, present a problem in itself? Because you know, one of the things saying I haven't trust in the system or whistleblowing, they say, you know, the term they use in other spheres such as and stoping at the moment. Uh, is it the fact that the people that are just going well we actually don't believe this you know we don't believe that if we were to do something it was going to be uh, taken properly and therefore it creates this sort of lack of trust in which case then it just feeds into that whole thing of this circumvent the system because you know I've got to look out for my best interest because no one else is going to mm. yeah I mean it's a global game so it's difficult to see how FIFA can't be leading on kind of regulatory initiatives even if some of those are devolved to member states but it as the boys have said, it's difficult to say that because certain aspects of the game may be well regulated in England, that may not be the case in other jurisdictions, and then it all falls down because 
if transfers are happening internationally. Um, there's no point in one end of the, the, the system being okay notionally and others not. So FIFA has to take a lead. And when you see things like the disbanding of the discrimination um, initiative that they had, which happened recently, on the basis, laughably, that it was said that that task force had fulfilled all its kind of mission statement, it does lack credibility. Apparently, um, the, ge- the Secretary General said that there's going to be a new body set up. Whether or not that does come into play. But, but FIFA has been, um, as that campaigning journalist who wrote about it described it, but also as the American court order described it, essentially an institution of organised crime, corruption on an industrial scale at the top of FIFA for a number of years. And every time it's been exposed and rooted out, the people rooting it out have rearranged the deck chairs and have got involved in exactly the same kinds of extortion and corruption on an industrial scale. That's how FIFA has been run. And they are the world regulator of football. When you have that, what, what confidence can you have in dealing with corruption in football properly if those in charge of it are themselves involved in such institutional corruption? And that's why you have got to get to the stage now of talking about some kind of independent regulation to restore confidence and to sort things out. So I think the, the lack of fundamental change is quite staggering as well. You know, to have something that big on that global scale, at that level, and ha- to have it stir up that much controversy all over the world, but for so little to be done to come out of it or mm. to be done about it afterwards is absolutely incredible. I think it's unprecedented in any sector. Nice about this find it surprising and pleasing actually that they've now appointed a compliance officer at FIFA. But to think before there was no compliance officer, so you had all these things. Which is what you said, there was no one actually checking that the rules were being followed. Well, there so, was an ethics committee, but yeah. they, they didn't seem to notice much. Deeply unethical. Yeah. <laughs> so the, um, about, on a more positive note, one thing I would say, and I'll pick up the point that Richard said, that, that, that FIFTMS seems to be something that yes. seems to be a positive, but it's a wholly owned subsidiary, so I think there's some issues there. I don't know for a fact, but I presume there's some issues there with how that fits into the general system. But we've said they've had some success with the transfer of minors, for example, because of the transparency mm-hmm. they've done. If there were one or two things that you could say, you know, tomorrow I would implement this, what would it be? Starting with Nick. Um, it would be a proper system of regulation of agents. So bring that, bring the licensing system back uh, or have self-regulation by the agents but with a licensing system in cooperation with the national bodies. And it would be an independent regulator. And if we can't get that internationally, start nationally. Um, give the FA more resources but break it up so you have an independent regulator over football and the important thing so the licensing system such as they have in in horse racing for example yes you can get extra powers basically against those individuals so they can you can ask them if you can and and it's fair to say to a certain extent we have that already because you have to be registered to be an intermediary and that means you are a participant and the FA has jurisdiction over you but um, there, there is not the training there is not the um, ability to decide who should be able to have a license properly in the first place. There's not that gateway. Um, And uh, the fact that uh, foreign agents don't have to have the same standards 
causes difficulties. You could, you would have difficulties having a licensing system here under EU law, and we, none of us know how that's going to be affected in the future either, where you've got uh, unlicensed agents in other countries um, participating. All those things need to be looked into carefully. Um, but there are steps being taken across Europe by the agents' federations to try and bring in at least a, an education and kite mark system. And that ought to be supported by the national federations. And they ought to also work with the players' unions together, the stakeholders working together, to then try and encourage a more independent and more thorough regulation. I think I'd like to see those member associations that make up FIFA start to realise a bit more that FIFA is only the sum of its parts, which is those member associations. And I, I just think FIFA is it's a it's an organisation that's been completely discredited, it's not fit for purpose. It needs they need to start again. Whether that be I mean it might be possible through, you know, some internal change, but there needs to be realisation that this is a this is a major problem and no, nothing is going to change if we just try to, as Nick called it, reshuffle the deck chairs again. Nick? Yeah, I mean, I I agree with both Richard and Nick, and uh, I, I agree particularly that FIFA isn't fit for purpose. I think reorganising FIFA starting again is such a big job that I slightly despair at mm. however that could happen. And I think on that basis, I'd I'd be looking to aim sort of slightly smaller, try and get our own house in order, as, as was said. Um, I think I said earlier in the podcast, the light-to-touch regulation of agents is an absolute mystery to me and uh, if we could lead the way on on getting that right um, and you know identifying and stamping out more of the unlawful activity that happens in that sphere then I think that would be a decent start. So according to the Independent the Premier League are going to set up a independent task force to look at the regulation of agents again. Do you think that one of the hopes would be that the power of the leagues as they increase, particularly with the, the success of the Champions League and the Premier League, that they may be a force for lobbying and a, and a force for good depending on, obviously on what the yes. outcome yeah. of those funds. I, th- I think you shouldn't underestimate the power of the clubs in this as well because they're the ones who give agents access to the market. Without, You can't get access to the market if you don't, if you don't have access to clubs. So clubs hold all the cards. So it would be interesting to see clubs mm. taking more of a lead on that. Yeah, I'll have to check out see if the European Club Association have have put anything out on this as well I think, they, I think they did but it'd be interesting well thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your experiences and perspective on this it's hopefully there's some going to be some movement afoot I have a feeling particularly domestically there, there is going to be a, a, some changes which I know you guys have been lobbying for for a while so thanks for your time thank you thank, thank you, you. Sadly, that's all we have time for for this show. I hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, for all your latest sports law updates and information, you can go to lawandsport.com or follow us on Twitter at Law and Sport. Go to our YouTube channel, follow us on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also go to our website to sign up for our weekly email. Thanks again for tuning in.